Listen to this. Zakawani, the flying winger. Here's Brad Evans. It's Steve. It's Steve. Who is it? It's Brad Evans. <laughs> said it again. Happy days are here again. Turning with a drive. It's Steve Zakawani. Evans with the left foot. He's an attacking threat, Brad Evans. This is so weird. The party has started. Yo, what's up, everyone? We are back after taking a little break last week. Side by side, Steve Zakawani, Brad Evans. Keely's not here, but her big, big shoes are being filled by producer extraordinaire Oof. Ryan Shaver. Um, who, yes, son, this is the this is the man behind the magic. For if you watch all the broadcasts, um, even this podcast when we first started it, um, that's the guy that was behind all of it. If we're going to talk Sounders, I mean, not really a negative feeling, but I think two points dropped against the Vancouver Whitecaps. I was very surprised by the Whitecaps, and we'll get into that a little bit. I think there's a debate to be had on who's Rui Diaz's ideal strike partner right now. Is it Montero? Is it Bruin? We'll touch on that a little bit, and we'll be joined by an absolute legend. And, you know, we don't throw that word around loosely um, in Marcelo Balboa, who played t- over 100 games for the U.S. national team. He's very affiliated with the Colorado Rapids. He's involved in that broadcast. So we'll kind of get an inside look from behind enemy lines as well. But I think the place to start is still top, finally conceded in the run of play. I think I don't want to talk about that anymore. So I think sometimes it's good to just get out of the way. If you keep thinking when, when, when. The Whitecaps came to Lumen Field and scored a couple of goals during the run of play. And if you take a sort of broader view, Sounders last three home games, I think it is, um, last four home games, three of them have dropped two points. They've been draws. And is that cause for concern? Is it not? I don't know. I will say this. We did a broadcast and I thought before the game, the Whitecaps would come in and sit back, um, absorb the pressure, and then maybe try to steal one or two on the counter. From minute one, they went at it. Um, Cavallini up top, not my favorite type of player, but probably would hate to play against him almost like a ball in a China shop. He's just going to throw elbows and run around and make the centre-backs uncomfortable. And I thought their two wingers were fantastic. I thought the homie was fantastic. I thought it's the first time I've seen Sissoko stretched. I thought Caicedo in the first half gave Alex Rodan fits. Like, I have not really seen anybody get at him. I mean, this guy was doing stepovers and feints. Um, the lights that have not been seen at Lumenfield in quite some time. So, curious your thoughts, Brad, on the Whitecaps' approach, really, and if you, who, who you've captained this club, what would you have said in that locker room? Would it have been, guys, hey, we didn't lose, we're still top? Or would you have kind of been a bit pissed, maybe, you know, punched the locker and said we dropped two points? Yeah, good questions. A um, lot to dissect here. But, you know, first of all, talking with Andy Rose after the game, um, he, at the beginning of the year, he said that they were a couple pieces away from making an impact. And I think the string of results wouldn't show that, but I think that you started to see, and and he was happy with the result, but you started to see glimpses of what this team could do. And it was evident from the beginning that they were going to try and, you know, stretch Sissoko specifically and try to get him to turn and face his own goal. And they did that really well. And it finally paid off with a couple long ball switches. Um, But yeah, they came out fast. I was uh, a little bit, um, when I was asking questions of the, the left midfielder with all the step overs and, and this and that in the beginning, because it looked like he was going nowhere, but you start to, as a defender, you start to second guess yourself a little bit like, okay, he hasn't passed me yet. He's done a couple step overs and he's played the ball. So I think that the Sounders put their guard down a little bit in the second half and said, Oh, okay. I, I'm, he's not going to do anything. Right. 
but then he just kept going and going and going. And I think that, you know, the Sounders with their wingback situation get a, get a little bit tired sometimes. And I think they were a little bit tired this week with three games in, yeah. in eight days. And it, and it showed in that formation, it's going to show. Um, you can do it if you got seven days rest pretty consistently or if you're going to really rotate players. But the Sounders don't have the luxury of really rotating players right now. Um, if they want to, they're going to bring academy guys on that haven't really played a lot of minutes against a desperate Vancouver team, a uh, desperate team to get a result. Yeah. You know, a friend asked yesterday, you know, what was up with Vancouver diving and time wasting? And from their perspective, they come into a place where, you know, they haven't gotten a ton of great results here, but they have had some success at CenturyLink in the past. And to, to lose two games in overtime at the last minute, you are fighting for uh, everything you have coming into to CenturyLink and you're going to do whatever it takes, however ugly it's going to be in time wasting and cramping and, you know, putting your hand up and, and slow rollouts. It was a frustrating game for the Sounders to figure out um, a mistake by the goalkeeper. Once again, um, he got, he got bit once again, being uh, overly confident yeah. in coming out. And all of a sudden you find yourself, you know, two, one down and you're trying to break apart a team that's really, really difficult to, to break down. And Vancouver made it tough. I think going into the locker room, the, the players should be upset. Uh, after that game, it's, it's really an unexcusable one because it's a game that the Sounders should win, right? We talked about it beforehand, a game the Sounders should win. So if I'm in the locker room afterwards, um, you know, coach will do most of the talking probably after that one. The guys are a little bit angry but you know I, I don't think I say too much other than guys it's, it's got to be better than that um, if the Sounders weren't in first place if the team lost I think there's more to be said in the locker room uh, but like you said again more dropped points at home uh, is is disappointing but you come back and you tie the game so it says a lot about again the resiliency the character of the team so um not too stressed moving forward, but right. still some question marks um, around this around this team a little bit, but nothing yeah. too major. Before we look at Colorado and we get um, uh, Marcelo Balboa on, I remember in the pregame we were doing a production meeting for the broadcast, and I think, Brad, I saw your eyes open up when they put the numbers of Clint Dempsey, of Freddie Montero, and of Rui Diaz side by side. I don't think any of us realized how quickly he got to um <clears throat> to 50 point 50 goals. Um, I think it's like that 76 games, 77 games, whatever it may be. And Freddie had like 162, Clint had 100 and something. Yeah. These numbers are ridiculous. Um, with that said, we've played with some very good players. There's been some very good strikers here. And I hate, I don't like these convos as much anymore. This sounds very Stephen yeah. A. Smith, Skip Bayless, you know, legacy. And <laughs> if he misses this shot, I don't like that. But where, how should we be viewing this guy? Like, should we, I mean, do we, is he even in, unbelievably, as you can imagine, <laughs> is he even in some ways underrated still for how he scores every game? How, do we, how should we view Raul? It's insane. I, yeah. How should we view Raul? Um, the biggest thing for me is if he stays for another two, two years, three years, he's obviously... And, and he continues to produce. He can't stop producing and he can't stop being healthy. I think one of the things that you saw with all the other players that we talk about was, um, you know, especially with Clint was, you know, he was here for quite a while and he was part of some big, big moments. And yeah. whether they were good or they were bad, the spotlight was always on him. 
And I think that's the difference between Raul and the other strikers. Like Freddie was consistently, you know, on MLS soccer for scoring these wonder goals and doing things that nobody had seen before in MLS. Yeah. Uh, Clint doing things like tearing up the, the referees, yeah. you know, red card, um, you know, getting sent off in games for some uh, outrageous response yeah. and then going in and scoring two late goals against Portland in the theatrics. And then Oba doing incredible things in Colorado and against John Bush and just scoring these goals that, again, no one had ever seen. I think the biggest difference is, is Raul does it in such a different way. He's so, he could have five touches in a game and then have the game winner, but it's every single game that he does it. And I don't yeah. think we've seen that before. And he does it quietly, right? Yeah. Like yesterday at, at training, he comes up and he you know says, what's up, guapo, and walks away. <laughs> Like it's just, you know, it, the yeah. respect is there, but he's yeah. just quiet. He gets into his car and he goes home. You know, he doesn't have these like theatrical um, antics. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's yeah. what makes him like this quiet assassin. He did the same thing in Mexico. Anyone that had that record in Mexico should should have been at, honestly, a bigger club than the Sounders Yeah, yeah. with his goal scoring record. And uh, he's done it in such a way that is that is just really incredible and you saw it in the broadcast all of us were just honestly we talked about it before the broadcast but we didn't see it on tv and all three of us are just staring trying to compute what we were looking at and it was like this moment of silence where it was like oh dear god this is insane yeah and there's no one else that's even and now we're talking about right like equaling joseph martinez's um stats and we talked about him as maybe the greatest striker in major league soccer history because of his goal scoring record so Someone has to break this down and really get the numbers and the data and, and really be serious on Major League Soccer about this is what this guy is doing in Seattle, and it's flying under the radar, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm your guy, Brad. I'm on it. Um, I think, <laughs> uh, one of the ones I, I did do some research on this because one of the strikers that came to mind that did it for, for so long um, and, and had that kind of goal score record was Robbie Keane. Obviously, you guys played yeah, Keane. Um, yeah, yeah. Obviously, he was a phenomenal player before he came to MLS came here, went to LA and, and his goal scoring record was, is very similar to where, uh, to where Raul is in terms of percentages. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll crush the numbers, come up with the definitive stats, but I think that's a yeah. good comparison just in the, in what the terms of consistency, right? Um, I think that was a big one. I'm curious though, cause you know, Brad and I played with Freddie, Clint, Oba. Brad, did you overlap with Raul? No, no. You didn't no, overlap with So we played with the same guys. In terms of those top strikers, Eddie Johnson, you want to throw in there? I've always said in training, at least, one of the best finishers was Samuel Cho. Um, what, what a finisher he was. Um, but Shaber, for you then, someone on the outside, where is Raul then? Like, Oba, Clint, Montero. I mean, you've seen more highlights than all of us and you've covered these guys. As a fan perspective, because he, he doesn't do much. He's not a guy that gets you off your seat. Maybe even in a way Nico does. He doesn't. It's not Raul gets the ball in the whole stadium. You know, Raul's at the end of the move. Raul's going to tap it in. Raul's going to, but he'll be there. I wonder how, because Oba, you know, he blew in, blew up and blew out. It was just insane. He got the ball and everyone just stood up. And for one year in 2014, him and Clint were just doing one twos up and down every opposition and scoring. But I wonder, Raul, what is it about him then from a fan perspective? And where would you place him then um, with some of those greats? That's a tough question. I, I think for me, you know, watching and producing games for when Oboe was on the field was one of those kind of like 
can't miss TV moments, right? Just because he never knew what he was going to do. And then you throw Clint in that mix too. Yeah. And those two together were just a diff different stratosphere uh, together in the same mindset. And I think, you know, Clint just talked about it on a podcast not that long ago with, with Beasley and, and, yeah. and Gooch, but I think it just, they were just on a different planet and the, the things they did together were can't miss TV. Raul is just so consistent. It's almost to the point where you expect him to score. It's mm. crazy, you know, but like, it's maybe not as flashy. He can, he can do flashy. He can do yeah. Atlanta. He can do those Portland playoff goals. Those are flashy, but he also does the, the dirty stuff too. Sometimes where he just pops up in the right place at the right time and scores. I wasn't here in the early days to see Freddie, but you know, I've seen the highlights enough to know that he had some bangers and, and, but you know, he wasn't afraid to shoot from distance. And, and there was a couple that come to mind against new England and against LA where he blasted him from 30 yards out a free kick at Toronto. I saw that highlight too. And I, I think what I'll say, Steve, is I think <laughs> Rui Diaz is, uh, is just an unbelievable finisher and scorer and he can yeah. do it in many different ways. And that's fun to watch. Um, I, I think I'll answer this uh, as judicious as possible by saying we're just really blessed to always have a good striker on <laughs> i can't make up my mind i, I would say watching Oba and clint though together um was just was just something else and brad you Steve. were on the field with those guys and I, I can only imagine you know what it was like but i think uh that that's how it answers that they've they've yeah. all been really good in their time and um uh yeah i think raul is just a different level of efficiency that is just hard. become expected and makes it really hard it's kind of like the sounders winning like you just expect them to win you know, yeah. you, you yeah. watch a game and they're like, okay, they're probably going to win today. Statistically, they're probably going to win today. Yeah. And it's the same thing with Raul. Steve, what, what, what do you think? I mean, I, I, I've always made, I, you know, I, you know, if I was to say, you know, I don't like doing example, top five, this top five, that anymore. Don't because lie I'm realizing, you, love, like, you love it. Don't lie to me. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's your bread I'm, and butter, bro. <laughs> I'm moving away from it because I really, it's different eras, different times. Cause people ask all the time, Oh, you know, it was this person or what, for yourself, Brad, you and Christian or Steve, you and Jordan. And I, it's different times, different eras. What I will say is I'm a hundred percent convinced we've not had a more talented player than Oba because mm. he did, he, he genuinely did things. I think that nobody could do Like he could hold the ball and he would be spinning in and out of people inside the 18 yard box, going under defenders legs. And then he chipped the goalkeeper, run around the other side and tap it into himself. It was like, we began to take that for granted a bit, I think, in his peak here in Seattle, um, so 2014 and some of 2015, I don't know we've had a player at that level that could... I remember when I was playing for Portland and he came down and scored a goal, he just ran through the whole defence. And it looks so easy. No one can do that. No one can do that. Like, that is... And in training, some of the goals he scored. And since we're playing Colorado this weekend, that first touch from the Andy Rose pass to spin, run, like, no one That's is insane. doing that. Yeah, no one can do that. So... I don't want, he, I don't like to compare him and knowing him really well personally as well. And his career from Inter, Shakhtar, Ruben, Kazan, Wolfsburg, Newcastle, he's played in big teams and always scored. And I think he's in a, I think he belongs in his own planet when it comes to who's the best. And as good as Nico is, as good as Alonso was, um, no one's close to Oba for me. There's no one. So I don't bring him into that. Now, speaking of the rest of them, Alonso, Chad Marshall, Nico Ladero, you start to put, put in some of those players. Now, do I throw Raul there is where my brain starts to go. Where would I put Raul or Clint um, in that list? I think Clint's time here is underappreciated to an extent. I think he scored big goals. I think his numbers speak for themselves. I think Clint wasn't a guy that was, you know, walking down the street, you know, handing out candy to babies and hugging people and 
he just did his job, drove his truck, went home, might show up at fishing here and there on the weekend with Darwin Jones of all people. So I don't think Clint was someone that people knew enough about, even a great guy. So I think he's always kind of a mysterious figure. And Raul, to an extent, I don't know anything about Raul. Now, I've never seen an interview. Or I, don't know how he, I don't know how his voice sounds. I don't know nothing about this guy. All I know is he scores every week. So I've talked to Raul once or twice, and I can't really remember. Um, so that's a, I would say he's the best finisher we've had at this club. That is clear to me. In terms of just, you need a goal in the playoffs, away to LAFC, away to Portland. Before anyone else, I take Raul, because Oba didn't score in the playoffs. That's a fact, as good as he was. So for that, I would take Raul, but I just struggle with those lists because I remember being on the pitch with Oba. I remember watching him, playing against him, playing with him, talking with him. I don't think anyone comes close. He, he was just... And, he, he, and the funny thing about him was he didn't work at it. He would, you know, we'd be in the gym after training and he, we could hear the Lamborghini engine taking off at Starfire. And you're like, oh, he's not coming to the gym. And he has like eight packs. And it's like, how is this possible? And he'd be drinking, you know, Coca-Cola all weekend. And then he show up at, at, at the stadium in the evening and score two goals. It's just, it, it, that was absurd, I think. And I thought he bought the best out of Clint, bought the best out of the group. And I don't think MLS, you know, maybe Robbie Keane, kind of that individual brilliance at times has seen, that so I put Oba and then probably Raul second at this point. It's crazy. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, we but, could but, we could but, sit but, here but, and debate. But but here's the thing about Raul: we would all agree he's not the most important player on the team still, and I still put Nico as the best yeah. player, which yeah. is crazy because yeah. that's how good Nico is. So I, I don't want to start talking about him because you played with him and he's something else. Yeah, he's, and he, he's, he's yeah, ridiculous. he's Oba esque. Yeah, I mean, I talked to him yesterday, and yeah. you know, he's still coming back from his injury. But we've we haven't talked about him this year. No, you know, no. we've talked about not having him, obviously, and we're so used to talking about Nico and his distance covered and his assists and uh, how much he means to the team. And to still be sitting here having this conversation, he hasn't played. Well, he played a little bit, and for this yeah. team to still be sitting in first place is crazy. Um, you know, without yeah. some really, really key performers. Yeah, yeah. If yeah. the Sounders could make a move or two, you know, come middle of the summer, um, I'm not sure what the salary cap issue and things like that, but if they right. could sign, you know, another high-quality player, uh, maybe two, like this team will be really, really good. Now, yeah. I still ask myself this question is, why we're not playing East Coast teams as only only twice a year, whatever it is, so we really don't have a real sense of where this team is at on the overall picture of the league. Yes, we can compare uh, this team lost to that team because, yeah. you know, six weeks ago, New England beat yeah. Austin FC 3 nothing, and we tied, you know, whatever it was. And so it's still too difficult to talk about, yeah. you know, overall league picture. Is it the league's best? Who really knows? We can talk about the West, the, you know, the Western Conference, yes. And that's why I still think, this conversation of are the Sounders the best team in the league? I don't think that the Sounders are taking that seriously inside the locker room. If you ask Schmetz that, he'd tell you the same thing. Like, I don't know, right? Like nobody really knows yeah. until you start testing yourself back when it used to be home and away, right? Home and away. You yeah. play East Coast home, you play East Coast away. Like that's the only real way to, you know, set yourself up to really have that discussion of best in the league. So I think what we should be doing on all these power rankings is by conference. And you know, we can guesstimate, is this team better than that team? Like, who really knows? 
Yeah. Um, oh, that's great. Um, I, well, I actually want to come back to that question. We had this debate with James Riley last night um, about the league then and the league now. So we'll come back to that. We'll get Marcelo on, but quickly, Colorado, away, always a tough game, the oh. altitude. And especially when they're a good team, that makes it harder. It's hard anyway. Um, people say sometimes going to Salt Lake, the altitude. I always thought Denver was 10 times worse. Like, and you, yeah. I don't think Ziggy helped me my rookie year because he made me feel like I just wouldn't breathe after two minutes. He was just like, drink. I mean, <laughs> Randy, no to boom, uh, head fizzle at the time in Cornish. They bought a stack of water to my room before because they could, they just thought, Zach Wan is not going to make it. And they were right. Like, I was dying. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> Five minutes in, it couldn't breathe. It's like unbelievable. But then you get a second win, it's a bit harder, but it's very tough to play there. They're good right now. Um, they were good. I think I think it was the end of 2019. They went on a crazy run towards the end and just didn't make it. 2020 was you not know, up and down year for everybody, but they still look good. And this year, I've been able to see them a couple of times. I like Robin Fraser a lot. And they look good to me. I think it's going to be a tough game for the Sounders, man. I really, I really, yeah. really do. I really think it's going to be a game where we're going to be under a lot of pressure. They're going to come toe-to-toe. You're going to need a moment from Raul. You're going to need maybe a moment from Montero. Want to wind back the clock and just he what he did for us so many times where we'd be in a tough game and Freddie will show up and shoot from 30-yard score. Okay, let's just defend now and win the game. You might need that. I think if you get a draw there, good result. You're in. You're in. I think anytime you get any sort of result there, you're you're feeling good about yourself. It's yeah. such a difficult place to play. That Fourth of July game is such a bugaboo too. It's like this. It's like the Rapids will get you know five thousand fans at every game, even though they're winning, and then all of a sudden Fourth of July comes and there's thirty thousand fans in that stadium. And I love the Rapids, you know, and all it is is fireworks. Um, it, it and it's such a tough one. I remember even back in Columbus days, you know, going there and playing on 4th of July and man, it's brutal because the, yeah. the, the players are so amped up and the fans are amped up. You know, it's, it's a holiday. It's uh, you know, celebrating not only for, for them, it's not only celebrating 4th of July, but it's celebrating like one of the first MLS teams original, you know, we've been yeah. doing this since, since year one sort of thing. And man, they go nuts. And it's, it's such a difficult place to play. And now will the Sounders, you know, with this new formation, three, five, two, um, will that, you know, take some pressure away and just really sit in a block of five and keep the Rapids in front of them? Um, you know, do they switch things up? Do they have different personnel? Um, hopefully, you know, guys have got an extra couple of days rest going into that place because that's going to be the most difficult part. Now, Ken, uh, if Sissoko starts, is Oof. playing at altitude. It's yeah. Who knows? Maybe it's this kid's first time playing at altitude yeah. somewhere that high. He's in for a shell shock. So there's going to be a lot of a lot of question marks, but I think that they'll be organized and, and ready to go. Um, and it's a difficult one, but I think, like you said, it's you like Raul's chance in the first half against Vancouver, right? Mm -hmm. Where you expect him to get a good inside the foot on that ball and finish, or at least put it on frame. Yeah. You cannot miss those in Colorado because that yeah. may be your only chance of the entire game. Right. Yeah. So everyone's got to be on their A game and deadly from, from minute one. Um, like you said, you come out flying in that place because you have a little bit of a lighter workout, uh, uh, warm up at that place. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, we're going to go out a little bit later. We're not going to get your heart rate up too high. And then you start the game and you're like, oh, wow, 
I feel energized. And then all of a sudden, you know, 20 minutes passes and you're looking at the clock, like it's 40 and you still got 25 minutes to go. And you're like, wait, what? And then all of a sudden your mind starts playing tricks on you. And you're just looking, honestly, you tell your brain, don't look at the clock every minute. And you always look back up at the clock and time seems to move slower and slower in that place. Uh, it's so yeah. difficult. Yeah. No, that's funny. All right, we'll get Marcelo Barbo on and he'll give us some insight into Colorado and then we'll be back on the other side just to wrap things up quickly um, with a couple of um, talking points. Stay tuned. Able to get a cross off Balboa with the ball! Oh! oh my! <laughs> That's got to be the goal of the year. We'll call it now. You have got to be kidding me. Marcelo Balboa with the bicycle kick. <laughs> In the opening moments of the second half off the Limpar cross, and even the fans in Columbus have got to tip their hat. Well, Sounders facing Colorado Rapids this July 4th, which they seem to do, I think, almost every year we play away in Colorado. And it's a big one, and we have couldn't have a better person to give us insight into the Rapids than, you know, we don't, we throw this word around quite a lot, the word legend, I think, in this country with MLS and national team. But this is, you know, a true definition of, and delighted, delighted to have on the podcast, um, Marcelo Balboa. Thank you so much for joining us. And what I just want to begin, first of all, is I, you know, I've kept a close eye on Colorado towards the end of last year and yeah. this year. And I still don't think people are taking them seriously as actual contenders. I think everyone expects that at some point they're going to fall off. At some point, the <laughs> likes of the Sounders or Sporting are going to pull away. But when I watch that team play, what Robbins built there, it looks good. So from the inside, just give us the sense of, do you guys feel as if we can compete, support Shield, MLS, et cetera, et cetera? Well, one, thank you for having me on the show. But, you know, uh, being a guy who's been here since 96, um, no one ever gave us a chance here. No one really respects the fact that what we built over, even when we reached the final and we lost to DC United, even when we won it, in 2010, people looked at Colorado. Oh, the only reason they made the playoffs is because they moved Colorado to the east and they didn't have to play all the good teams. So that's okay. You know what? It's uh, the underdog role suits us well. Uh, Robin's done a great job of building uh, a, a group of young men who understand the system. We don't have any stars. We don't have a 20 uh, goal score person on this team. But when you watch this team play, they work together, they fight, they scratch, they grind, and, uh, and they find ways to win. So if, if the league and people don't want to take Colorado serious, that's fine. Eventually, eventually they will have to because they've got to play Colorado. And if they keep doing what they're doing, they may get a home game. But uh, it's okay. It's a long season, and uh, you have to earn your respect. You don't get your respect, Seattle. You didn't get your respect because you made the playoffs once, twice, it's consistent. You're reaching, you're winning trophies. And I think that's Colorado's next step is consistently getting into the playoffs to get out of this. Oh, this is just a fluke. This is just a one year thing. So we still have to earn that right. I think, you know, to piggyback off Steve, it's Colorado has always been a dangerous team to play. And like you guys said, they don't get you guys don't get the respect from the league yeah. and often from other fans even you know fans here in Seattle but as a player it was always a very difficult team to play especially away and I think that's a lot to do with you know at altitude um, yeah. I think when you play Colorado it's a little bit of 
unexpectedness, but now we're talking about hopefully consistency. And that's what Robin has brought there is that consistency. And I don't think that we talk about that enough um, in major league soccer. And I think what he'll be able to provide is, you know, building that spine. And that's something that, you know, the Sounders have done well and, and, yeah. and a number of other teams, but until you really build that spine, um, yeah. you know, I look back at 2016 as, you know, a really good series. Right. And yeah. that was one step away from you guys advancing and, and us not advancing. And it took a, a fantastic finish there in Colorado to, to do that. Um, and that was a tough one. When people talk about Seattle now, I think, from a opposition standpoint, the first name that was coming to mind, you think, okay, Rui Diaz, you know, and then maybe yeah. you're thinking Christian Rodon. There are some certain yeah. danger men. When we talk about, when we talk about this Colorado Rapids team, who should we, we be thinking about? And I'll piggyback that with, I'm a massive, massive fan of Cole Bassett, massive fan. And I know there's, um, you know, um, the guy in New York, Caden Clark, um, yeah. Aronson, who's gone to Philly. Some yeah, yeah. good young players, but he, for me, he belongs in like, I think he's what, 20 years old, 19, 20. Yeah. I think he, he belongs in that conversation. Looks very composed, very mature. I've seen him have some really, really good games. So in general, who should we be focused on? And I'd love to know your opinion on Cole as well as a player. Um, let's start with, when you talk about Colorado, I, I think you got to talk about the, the Acosta because no one gives Kelvin Acosta any credit. What he's done over the last year of maturity and how he's learned to play that position as a six slash eight alongside Jack Price, uh, I think is the reason why you see him back on the national team and starting to work him has worked his way back into a full-time, maybe a starting 11 uh, attitude. Everything has matured. And I think that's what he was missing. When you talk about us, you talk about Michael Barrios, you talk about a, a guy Rubio who doesn't get any credit, but if you watch, and I'm trying to get his numbers. If you watch how much he runs into the midfield to create space for the players, he comes back and tracks back defensively. Uh, I, I think those are some of the players that you really need to look at. As for Cole Bassett, I think Cole Bassett is, has been improving. And again, we talk about consistency in a game. You've got to be a big factor. You've got to be able to run at players. And his game is getting better every single day so I think that's a bonus I think getting him with an under 20 national team getting him that kind of experience is that next next level um but again we've got we've got a few homegrowns and Sammy Vines no one really talks about Sammy Vines and you guys know in this league how hard is it to find a young American fast left-sided left-footed player that has developed and come out of your academy so for me, when I see Sam Vines with that left foot, I just say cha-ching for the Colorado Rapids because of the fact that the value on his head, because he's left-footed, he can defend, he gets into the attack well, is going to go through the roof if he has a good gold cup, if he gets invited into World Cup qualifiers. I think they both have a huge upside. Look, for me, I think, you know, I played with Diego Rubio in, in Kansas City in 2018, yeah. and, and he, even coming off the bench most of the time, had a fantastic season. And in training, he's fiery. He's, you yeah. know, knocking guys off the ball. Like, every day this guy plays like <laughs> it's the World Cup. It's crazy. 5v2, yeah. he's tackling yeah. guys in 5v2, and he brings that um, – now that he's a starter, he brings that energy. And for yeah. me, that's someone that the Sounders have to watch out for. Well, yesterday we had all um, – all front office came to the training session for the first time in, you know, over a year and a half. And, uh, you know, Schmetz came over and he said, look, 
we're facing a team this weekend that is a dark horse. And for us, it might be the best team yeah. that they've played all season, the Sounders. So they're approaching it with yeah. the attitude of you guys do not get enough credit. And I think that will be echoed. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, that's how Major League Soccer is. And, and, and you know, <laughs> the powers that be at MLS Soccer, they're going to write yeah. who they want to write about. But, you know, it's just a product of not having that <clears throat> massive DP. And until that happens... Yeah. And until you guys get a, you know, a big name player, it'll probably continue to be that way. And I think you guys are okay with that. Um, Shifting gears to, to us soccer. I know that that's, you know, near and dear to your heart. I think did more of your appearances come with us soccer than major league soccer, or is it slightly (laughs) above? Um, I think it's pretty close. I think I have a few more with uh, a few more games with the Rapids than I do Caps. I think I was like at 150 games. You know, we came in, we started the league when we were old, so we didn't have that many years left. But uh, I think I'm at like 150, 150 games for the Rapids, and I think I'm at one, like 128 for the uh, for the national team. Yeah, so incredible. I, I, I try to balance things out in my life. You know? <laughs> yeah, to see just those pure numbers, and you you know you're the OG, um, and to see where U.S. soccer has been, you were a massive part of it. Uh, and to see where they are now, I have my thoughts, but I'm curious to, yeah. to hear what your thoughts are moving into this Gold Cup, this young group of players that are now in Europe and kind of where you see the outlook for the next world for the next World Cup cycle, but also beyond that. Yeah, one, let's go with I, I hate to say it, but it was sometimes it's a good thing that things happen for a reason. So I think 2018 was a huge step back for the United States Soccer Federation, and I think it made everybody open their eyes because we were always been on kind of cruise control. We relied on certain players. So that generation got a little too old. We did not cycle in the younger players. And unfortunately, we didn't qualify. That happening made us take two steps forward. And that's opening our eyes and taking a look at the Weston McKinney's, the Tyler Adams, the Pulisic's. You start looking at the Wales. You started looking at these younger players that we needed to bring in. So, yes, it's a young generation. The fact that they're all playing in Europe um, is fantastic because they're playing at the highest level. And as you guys know, as athletes, we, we want to play at the highest level possible that's going to challenge us. So for those guys playing there mixed in with MLS players, it's great. And for a guy who's covered the national team for, for Univision, um, can I just say it was a joy to finally see this team? Because I've been waiting for two years watching games, losing to Mexico, waiting for this team to come together as a team. You always need to have one key victory against a CONCACAF team like Mexico. When that comes, it just unifies the group. And if you watch that throughout the the Nations League, the first game, they won more on individual play, you know. And over the last few years, they've won quite a few games. But as individuals, for the first time, that team came together against Mexico. And I think we saw the potential of when they play as a group, when they believe in each other, not as individuals, as they believe in each other, as what Greg Berthalter has been preaching, the team. Um, I think that opened up a lot of people's eyes around the world. I think it opened up Mexico's eyes because I work with with a lot of the Mexican uh, broadcasters. And even they were like, oh, this is what it could be. And I'm like, yes, this is what it could be. So um, I, I'm thrilled that this team has finally come together and it's moving in the right direction. Um, what's going to happen? I think they'll qualify. I don't have a doubt in my mind. Uh, what they'll do in a World Cup, 
who knows? You know, they could surprise people. They can flop out because of, and, and it goes like anything else. They experience the moment of the World Cup. This is the first time they're living it. It's a huge event. So, but this group will, will qualify. This group will be prepared for the 2026 World Cup. And I, I, expect, I expect this team to crush it in 2026. Uh, no. a, a quick question, Steve. I'm going to jump in on that piggyback. And, you know, on Brad's comment, um, you know, what is it like? You played with Claudio, obviously. Now, yeah. now his kid is playing on the national team and performing <laughs> at a high level. What is that like for you? I've asked Casey the same question off, off the record, too. And I'm just curious to see what your, uh, what your take is on when you're seeing one of your former teammates' kid running around out there and performing well. You know, it was weird to start with when I saw Ian Hartz playing with John Hartz because we were teammates and you see him playing, you're God, you're getting old, cello. And <laughs> then to to go to Nations League and after the game, after they won it, I was sitting there talking to Claudio Reyna and his son comes over and I just kind of giggled because like I knew you when you were this big. You know what I mean? I you know what I mean we knew the kids. So um I think it's great. It just goes to show you that uh that listen, everybody's been given a gift be it soccer, be it base, whatever it is, whatever it is, mathematics. Um, it's up to that individual to put themselves in an environment that they're going to be tested, not comfortable, because when you're comfortable, you stop learning. When you're comfortable, you do things that you can do at half pace and or half anything, half effort, and, and you don't get it done. So putting these young men in an environment where they're going to be tested. They're not the stars. They're at the bottom. They've got to work every day to be better on their right foot, on their left foot, and how they think and how they move is what's made, I think, when you look at Polis, if you look at Weston McKinney, you look at Tyler Adams, you look at all this group of players, they're putting themselves in positions where they're not comfortable, and that's developing them a lot quicker. Um, I have to ask, last one for me, but I have to ask, and I'm going to put you – on the spot here with this, and it's a tough one to answer. When you've seen them all, you've played with them, you've seen the greats from the attacking players, especially from the McBrides, you've seen Landon, yep. you've seen Clint, everybody. We've never seen what Pulisic is doing at that level in the EPL, yep. week in, week out, playing in Champions yep. League finals, yep. like, and really being a key player for a top team. I'm curious yep. where you think he's at right now. And does he have the potential to really just go on and be the best this nation's ever produced from an attacking sense, at least? I think every generation is, is, is different. In my generation, I would say the most skillful. And I mean, when you got into trouble and you needed to get out of something, Tab Ramos was that guy. Tab, you gave him the ball. He was there. The next generation was a Claudio Reyna. Then you moved on to Landon Donovan. And from Landon Donovan, now we're moving to Pulisic. So... What he's done just at 22 years old is, I think, what we all dream of, right? Going to Europe, playing for a big team, winning Champions League. And uh, the ceiling, he's going to – he could – he's not, but he could be the best player ever in the United States. And I say that because he's only 22. His ceiling is so high. There's so much for him to keep growing and developing as a player. But, uh, yeah, I mean – I, I, I can't even imagine what this kid's going to be like at 25, 26, at the level he's playing at. Uh, do I expect to see him? And I think rumors of maybe a Barcelona or a, or a Real Madrid. I think wherever he wants to go, uh, he'll, get, he'll have an opportunity to go. And, he, and, and no, this is no disrespect to anybody else. I think every generation has had some of the best players. And I didn't play with Landon. 
but I loved watching Landon play, you know, and, uh, and Pulisic is just one of those kids that when he's on the ball, just like, listen, just like Weston McKinney, I love Weston McKinney. I think to me, he has a little bit more presence right now on the national team than Pulisic does, because this is the guy who he is the enforcer. He hits, he wins, he can score. But I, I think there's going to be a few of those guys on the Nash team that we're going to see on uh, on the world stage. And eventually, I expect to see one of those two guys fighting for the uh, Ballon d'Or in, in a few years. Mm. Everyone paves the way for someone. And it's yep. uh, it's great to uh, talk. I, last one for me, and we're talking about legends, and we get to work with them week in, week out. But with Casey Keller, in your opinion, where <laughs> he ranks, because we've had this <laughs> discussion. And I still think, you know, I've played with a lot of them. Yeah. And even for me still, my brain goes back to shooting practices against Casey and just <laughs> the inability for, for anyone to score on him. Yeah. And you've played with all of them, right? Just about. Yeah. Well, one, let me say he's, he's a dear friend. And uh, to, to be able to have him in goal, I, I was blessed, guys. I, I was blessed. Listen to the goalkeepers I've had. Tony Miola. Okay, Jurgen Summers, Brad Friedel, Casey Keller. I even had uh, Tim Howard when I got traded to New York for a little bit. So tell me how I can go wrong. Tell me how you <laughs> pick the best goalkeeper ever. You know, I think with Casey, it was leadership. It was, God, you're terrified to make a mistake because you know, you know that he gets on you. Oh, yeah. But you know, if you made that mistake, when you turned around, there was a 70% chance. I hate to say a high, but there was a 70% chance Casey's going to make that save. <laughs> and when we played against Brazil and we beat them one nothing, and to see Case making save after save after save, you're like, where the hell did this guy come from? You know what I mean? <laughs> but, uh, God, one of the nicest people I I've ever played with. Uh, again, lucky enough to have played with a lot of them, but Casey was just that guy that uh, – he demanded that back line and he organized you just like Tony and those guys did. But it was weird because people would always look at Casey Keller and say, cause he was losing his hair a little bit. Like that's your goalkeeper. And then he makes a save and you're like, yep, that's our goalkeeper. <laughs> uh, absolutely love it. Listen, we could talk to you all day. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on and looking forward to the game on Sunday. Welcome back on any time. Um, truly a pleasure, man. Thank you for making the Thanks time. Thanks for having me, fellas. I really appreciate it. Good luck. I expect a great game. And uh, anytime you need, I'm here. Thanks, All right, boss. Thank you, brother. All right, welcome back. Thanks again to the legend. That is Marcelo Barbo. Is it Marcelo or Marcello? Depends on where you're saying it from. <laughs> I always like to throw a little something on it. <laughs> yeah, he, 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 he we didn't that. even talk about the bicycle kick, by the way. No, right. No, we didn't. We didn't. Um, but what a legend. He's a legend and, you know, great on the broadcast as well. So great to have him on. Speaking of broadcasts, um, we do Colorado on Sunday. We do have another game next week, midweek, at home to Houston. And it'll be a little bit different because we're going to have it's happened before. I think Will Bruin was in the booth for one game, but um, we're going to have Stefan Fry, obviously a club legend as well and just top, top player. Out injured right now. We'd much rather see him on the pitch, but he will be in the booth all game um, with myself and Keith Costigan, sort of like a three-man booth. So we switched out one goalkeeper 
Casey Keller for another one. Um, I wonder if Casey does what Raul did and flies back um, when Raul saw that Montero was scoring goals in preseason. <laughs> if Casey flies back once the story comes up. But no, um, Stefan Fry will be in the booth with us. So make sure you tune in. That will be next Wednesday evening. And I think that's a full stadium game. Oh, it'll be open. It'll be less fully restrictions. Yeah, it'll be fully open stadium. So it's going to be great. That's going to be fun. Um, Houston should be a good game. Um, with another legend coaching them, Tar Bramos, we spoke about earlier, and Stefan Fry will be in the booth. That's going to be very exciting. So quickly before we go, but I want to ask you this, because I've gone back and forth now. The simple question is, is the league in 2021 better than it was in, say, 09, 2010, 2011, 2012? Initially, I say coaching is better. The higher-end players are better. You don't see, you know, Carlos Vela, Zlatan, all these guys we've seen so many at once. I will say that. But my counter-argument is, when I came in the league, there was only 15 teams. And I think there's only 23, 24, 25 roster spots. Way less jobs. You had to be good to make the team. And at times, that even pushed the quality to the top. And then you trimmed the fat, if you will. Whereas now, you have 28, 29, 30 teams. You have 30 people on the roster. You have this developmental squad. that, And I think some guys now that I see would not have played on our Sounders teams back then. We had good teams. So... Just in short, I'm not going to answer because I don't know, but better or worse. Mm. Yeah, that, that's a tough one. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, talking with Marcelo about goalkeepers and who yeah. was better. And you have to take into consideration a product of the times. And, you know, I, yes, I agree with you. I still look around the league and see players where they wouldn't play for the Sounders. But we've had this conversation so many times on this even on our broadcast and in this podcast that the way that you and I line up teams is we'll put the two yeah. 11s together and say, would I take this player over this player on the Sounders? 99% of the time we've always taken a Sounders player yeah. over yeah. another team's player, right? Maybe you'd put in a, you know, a Zlatan or a, you know, a certain midfielder here and there. <clears throat> so I think it's a bit unfair to yeah. rank things against the Sounders because consistency quality of scouting um you know all encompassing making the right personnel decisions has made this team so successful and just about every other team hasn't been able to do that right but from top to bottom i think that our sounders teams top to bottom especially starting 11 are probably maybe higher quality players overall than you know, back when we were playing, I think you saw a lot of MLS veterans back in the day. And now you're seeing more players that could probably take the leap over to Europe yeah. more than we had in the past. Um, and that's yeah. how I kind of like categorize it. Yes. We had fantastic players that could have made the leap and played overseas or at bigger clubs. But right. I think you look at the rosters now and there's more, and maybe that's more because there's more eyes on the league. But to me, it seems like there's more players that could make that jump now. Um, but I, th I still think now is top to bottom, better, better quality uh, all throughout the roster, especially with the Sounders. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, how many times you ask yourself this question, if yeah. you were healthy now and you jumped into a training session, <laughs> would you be behind the ball and be like, oh, wow, these guys are incredible. Or would it be like riding a bike and you're, yeah. you know, out there and you're pinging passes and, and you know, beating guys? Yeah, yeah. So watching yesterday's training session, there was a ton of academy kids out there that, you know, they're just not ready yet. Yeah. You, know, you look at the pace 
you look at the decision making the passing just not ready yet yeah and those are 16 17 year old kids whereas you know our younger players back then had you know won national championships at college right they're 22 year old kids that had experience that you know spent their springtime playing against mls teams who played pdl soccer right uh, against high quality opponents in the summertime heading into their professional careers so i think it's just different it's just yeah. different it's, it's yeah. really hard to compare so i think there's arguments for both sides of that to be honest it's tough definitely good conversation so sunday sounders away colorado rapids we will be doing the broadcast and i'm just going to go by ryan's eyes if i'm saying this right or not 6 p.m kickoff um joe tv and prime video broadcasts 5.30 p.m. for the pre-game show. Join us. Um, pre-game show at 5.30 p.m. And the next Wednesday, don't forget, Stefan Fry will be in the booth. Sounders will play um, against the Houston Dynamo. And the next time we'll be back, we'll actually be recapping both games. We won't speak to you in between those. As always, thanks for joining us. Like, comment, subscribe everywhere you get your podcast. And hopefully, hopefully it's like another good um, six-point week for the Sounders. But we'll be back to find out on Side by Side next week.